This episode is brought to you by Bubs Naturals, and one of the most profound new supplements I've added to my own diet is collagen. And Bubs provides the only collagen that is not only NSF certified, but also Whole30 certified. Now, when we think of collagen, you might think of beauty products, but when ingested, collagen not only positively affects skin, nails, and hair, but also joint and gut health, something that I witnessed personally within myself. Now, I'm also a huge fan of altruistic business, and Bubs was founded out of tragedy. Glenn Bub Doherty was one of the two Navy SEALs killed in Benghazi. And his friends, Sean and TJ, founded this company to not only create great nutritional products, but also take 10% of the proceeds and donate them to charity. So they are offering you, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, 20% off your first purchase if you use the code SHIELD at bubsnaturals.com. And if you want to hear more about the inception of Bubs and Glenn's powerful story, listen to episode 558 of Behind the Shield podcast with Sean Lake. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 5.11 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 5.11tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by Thorne, and I have some incredible news for any of you that are in the military, first responder, or medical professions. In an effort to give back, Thorne is now offering you an ongoing 35% off each and every one of your purchases of their incredible nutritional solutions. Now, Thorne is the official supplement of CrossFit, the UFC, the Mayo Clinic, the Human Performance Project, and multiple special operations organizations. 
I myself have used them for several years and that is why I brought them on as a sponsor. Some of my favorite products they have are their Multivitamin Elite, their Whey Protein, the Super EPA, and then most recently, Cinequil. As a firefighter, a stuntman, and a martial artist, I've had my share of brain trauma and sleep deprivation, and Cinequil is their latest brain health supplement. Now, to qualify for the 35% off, go to thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Click on sign in and then create a new account. You will see the opportunity to register as a first responder or member of military. When you click on that, it will take you through verification with GovX. You'll simply choose a profession, provide one piece of documentation, and then you are verified for life. From that point onwards, you will continue to receive 35% off through Thorn. Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, for a one-time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Dean Lister. Now, I was fortunate enough to meet Dean at the Echelon Front Muster here in Orlando and was amazed by his humility and his teaching in the jiu-jitsu portion. So we discuss a host of topics from his journey into martial arts, his international perspective of countries around the world, the power of plant medicine, the combat arts in law enforcement, his BJJ hero retreats, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Dean Lister. Enjoy. Well, Dean, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time on, to come on today. We, we met, uh, I think it was almost a year ago now, at Echelon Front in Orlando, um, but I've been wanting to get you on ever since, so I really appreciate you coming on the show. Great to be here, brother. Great to be here. Yeah, it's a great thing to be a part of Echelon Front with my bro, Jocko. A lot of good things happening there, really good attitudes, so it's going to be around some good people and uh, my small part tr- contributing, hopefully, you know. Absolutely. Now, where on planet Earth are we finding you today? San Diego, California. So right next to the Mexican border. Um, it's nice here. I can't complain. I mean, the, right now, of course, uh, not right. I think the whole world right now is getting some, uh, some higher prices, but Southern California, uh, you know, it's not the best time to live here, but I guess it's not the best time to live anywhere in the world right now, you know? Absolutely. Well, one thing just before we kind of start down your path when I think the last time I had Jocko on, Victory was still close, Victory Martial Arts. So, you know, what has that last two years been like for you as, as a business owner, as a coach? Yeah, I mean, literally, it's probably the most impacted sport you can imagine. I mean, you could actually justify baseball or, you know, golf. I mean, I don't see how golf, if you golf alone at least, right? <laughs> uh, 
you know, social distancing. I don't know. Look, I know, I know that's a very divisive subject. I'm just going to say, that, I don't know. I just think, I think that it was unfortunate. A lot of people lost their businesses for, in my opinion, an overreaction. That's just my opinion. But, but let's say, but therefore I'm partial because my business relies upon close contact with individuals. So that's probably why I feel that way. We had to close. It was a mandate from California. A lot of the gyms, they, they just uh, kept going underground because, you know, it's a small gym. We have the biggest gym in the county, so we couldn't do that. You know, the people, you know, uh, the police don't want to shut you down, but they, but they if they have to, they'll come by. And, and we, we have a good reputation here, so we had to keep ourselves closed for about one year. Yeah. Yeah. I know uh, we were lucky here in Florida. It was a little bit more progressive, I guess you'd say. Um, but yeah. yeah, for a while it was temperature checks and, you know, waiver signing. And then, you know, slowly they were able to kind of go back to full, you know. What's funny about Florida, uh, it was before, before the muster, I believe. It was right during the heavy lockdown time I was traveling. I went to Florida to um, Estero and then I went to Orlando and then I went to, uh, I think, Tampa. I went to three places in, in a row like in three days in a row. And uh, over there, they had no mask mandates. So I took a video. So everyone in California, not everyone, let's say half the people are just, they're driving alone in their cars with masks on and whatever, you know, whatever, that, that they can do what they want to do. But I took a video of me in a store. I go, hey, look at this. I'm not wearing a mask. And uh, people were angry at me. I'm talking from California. They're like, well, you, they couldn't believe it. They were angry at me. I think I lost some followers from that actually. So that's how divisive the subject is. Isn't that crazy? It That's is. how divisive it is. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Well, especially as, and I understand jujitsu, you know, as, as they say, you know, it's, uh, it's only, it's only weird if you look each other in the eyes. I mean, it's a very intimate <laughs> sport, <laughs> I <got> it, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but at the same time, during that time, it broke my heart because gyms like yours were closed down. And yet, and I talk about this a lot on the show, you know, so the so beaches were closed, parks were closed, people were told to stay indoors and, you know, fast food and alcohol was delivered to homes. And, and it was the yeah. polar opposite of what should have been happening. The community, yeah. Yeah. the exercise, the resilience you get from, for example, a jiu-jitsu school was actually what we needed during that time. Yeah. You know, once again, I know this is divisive. I do know two people who died from, uh, during that time as well as one of them was with my coach, Coach Sal. Uh, Salsa from Houston, um, you know, passed away. It was very unfortunate. Um, you know, I know what happens. I know it's something that I'm not saying is fake. I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy, whatever. I'm not. It's just ironic to me that um, literally going outside, getting vitamin D, exercising, and eating healthy is probably the best way, lifestyle-wise. Like how about not drink, <laughs> stay in your house, drink a lot, eat fast food, and don't exercise. That's the best way to die from COVID. You know what I'm saying? So, so I mean... Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and then now people, ah, I don't want to get too divisive. I understand that people, there's some people, they're, they're still really into this thing. And it, it's like the hardest thing they've ever seen in their life. And I don't know, to me, it's not, you know, I've seen worse things, but, uh, but yeah, everyone has their, you know, you know, uh, you know, for some people, the scariest thing is jumping in the ocean. For some people, it's heights. For some people, it's, for some people, it's talking in public, you know, everyone has their own struggle. So I'm not going to judge anyone, but I've seen much worse things in my life. So it wasn't really that, you know, worried i was worried about family my old family members yes of course absolutely i was worried for my, my father and, and the people who are older um but uh ah, you know we're, we're past that now and we're doing good now so that's all that matters excellent well that's good to hear well i would love to start at the very beginning of your journey then your, your your childhood because i know you have quite an interesting international kind of backstory so tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic what your parents did and how many siblings Sure. 
my, my father is a U.S. Marine. He's a, what's called a Mustang, which means he became enlisted right around the Vietnam War era. So it was a pretty hardcore time to go into the military. And he was that upper 1%. He got like Jocko. Jocko got, I don't know, not the same program, but, you know, you're I don't know, five, six years as an enlisted, meaning E1, E2, E3, E4, whatever. And then uh, they go, hey, we're going to pay you to go to college, <laughs> be an officer. So my dad got that program uh, and I uh, went to college, became an officer. I was born in 1976 in Camp Pendleton. It's a, it's a large Marine base in northern San Diego County. So I basically am from San Diego, if you count that area. Um, I moved around every two years, my whole life. Every two years, we'd move Arizona, Monterey, California, 29 Palms, California, Venezuela for two years, Panama for two years. I've been all around the world, but, you know, also because my sport had been around the world. So um, one thing about me, and this is something that I get asked a lot about. I mean, it's a very typical story. A fighter says they were bullied. And, you know, it's not a poor me story, but it's funny how that is a very common thing. In my case, it was because we, the USA, uh, invaded Panama, which is in Central America. And I was in junior high. And that's the age where little boys, little, little, little dudes start fighting harder. You know, it's not like you're eight years old and the, prince, the teacher comes and stops the fight real fast. These kids had beards. There were 15 and there's sometimes two or three versus me. And it was, they were angry because, you know, I'm not saying I, it was my fault, but I understand why they were angry. You know, people lost families, you know, during this invasion, USA lost, I think 18 people, 18 people died. That's tragic. Of course, four Navy SEALs, by the way, very close to where I lived. I lived right in the middle of, of, of the combat. I mean, my house was shaking from explosions. There was gunfire in my backyard. There were things exploding in my backyard. Um, so after that, there was, let's say it was like three days, like Iraq, three days or so, two days, whatever, four or five. You could, you wouldn't, you didn't, I didn't go outside for like 10 days. You didn't even go by a window for 10 days. We, my mom was smart. As soon as we heard the, the, the gunfire and the explosions, she filled the bathtub full of water because apparently when there's a war happening, people do not work at the water factory. I, I don't know. That, that seems to be the case. So, so we, we were drinking from, from the bathtub for like five days. So it was my mom smart. We drank from a bathtub. And we didn't have power, of course. Um, so I, came, I went back to school, I don't know, two weeks later. They actually opened the schools up. And the Panamanian kids were, you know, some lost an aunt or an uncle or, or a sister or, or something or, or a son. I mean, they were angry at Americans in general. And at that time, I was, I'm still a nerd, but I was more nerdy back then. I had pimples. Uh, I was small. I didn't speak Spanish, which made it much worse. Uh, so I got some serious fights. And that gave me a reason to want to learn to defend myself. And it just so happens that when I got to high school, I became a wrestler. I, I became, I don't know why, I'm somewhat good at grappling, you know, especially submission grappling. For some reason, I'm way better at submission grappling than I am at wrestling. I'm good at wrestling, but I'm not high world-level wrestling. I'm world-level in uh, submission wrestling or jujitsu. So that's my passion. I'm, uh, it's estimated 3% of people in the world are doing what they want to do with their life. I'm not saying rich or poor. I'm saying they are doing what they're meant to do with their life. You know, three in a hundred. It's estimated. I'm definitely one of those three in a hundred. I'm very fortunate and uh, I'm happy living here in lovely Southern California. I have a great group, a great team, great set of friends. And I'm very fortunate to have, I'm talking very loyal friends that I can, you know, I can trust. And we're, we built a business, we built a family here. And, you know, it's uh, something I continue the rest of my life. And I will until, until the day I die, you know, I'll keep doing this exactly what I'm doing. So a question I asked people that bounced a lot, had that kind of gypsy upbringing, um, what were the the pros of 
moving around and traveling so much as a family? And, and were there any cons aside, obviously, from the obvious bullying that you just told us about? Yeah. Oh, by the way, the I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say a poor me story. You know, some people have had it much worse than me. I mean, I know kids that grew up in certain um, urban areas of the USA have had it worse than me. I know kids from South America have had it worse than me. And just saying that was one of my motivations. But with that question you asked about what's the pros and the cons, I think overall it's good. Um, you get to get out of your comfort zone. You also get to be able to spend time with yourself. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting. A lot, well, nowadays, especially with the, the, the smartphones, most people, they cannot spend even like an hour without a phone. I mean, they'll go crazy. Nowadays, it's, it's like an addiction. So you get used to where you can entertain yourself. You can actually like, not meditate, but you can actually focus on and get into your own head think about some things that are really important. Uh, also, I did learn Spanish and I speak Portuguese. I lived in France. I, I forget my French, but I was speaking French a little bit when I was living there. I lived in Croatia. I was speaking Croatian when I was living there. Not very good, but I was getting around with it. I forgot it now because it's been years. I was training Mirko Krokop, Filipovic, in Zagreb, Croatia for a while. So I've been around the world. And, and I'll tell you what, it's just interesting to see that people around the world, they're all different, but they're also all the same, you know? And I'm not trying to be, make a riddle here. It's just funny that all the cultures are different, but people around the world have this very similar struggles. You know, whatever religion you're talking about, uh, whatever government, people have the same. People have sadness. People have happiness. People have dreams. They have memories. They have experiences. You know, they have goals. Everyone has these things. And, you know, there's places in Africa and there's places in South America where literally to get clean water every day is, is a job. It's a job. And so that helps me to not take for granted what's just super available here. People just, you know, you turn the TV on, it works here. In a lot of countries, uh, the power doesn't work all the time. Uh, you know what? It's the, the heating doesn't work all the time. Or, or actually, or it's old, old World War II level heating, like water pipes. You can burn yourself on those pipes, things like that. Um, it's just good to t not take for granted, you know? And uh, and I'm definitely not one of these people who, who um, um, brag about my country. I love my country. I love my people. But... Um, I definitely want to be welcoming to other people and, and see what I can learn from other cultures. You know, so, so I, I definitely uh, look at myself as a student of the world. You know, I travel around the world and I learned about cultures. You know, I've been to about 55 countries in my life. That's more than most people could say. And uh, I, can, I can relate to most people. I think so better than if I had never moved away. Beautiful. Well, yeah, Krokop is one of my heroes because I'm left-legged as well. So <laughs> if I kick about probably a, an eighth of the power that he does. Um, well, with that international perspective, that's a really important lens that you have. And it's something that I make an effort to bring people from all walks of life and all countries on here because there are some countries that do things better than we do. And I, I agree with you. If you just chest, you know, beat your chest and wave a flag and say we're the greatest country in the world, of which I don't think is a competition anyway. So even that phrase is kind yeah. of weird yeah. to me. But we're not. Education, healthcare, safety, happiness. There's a lot of areas where we're not doing as well and if we yeah. had the humility from learn from other countries we could all raise each other up so in all these these countries you've been to were there any elements of some of these countries where it struck you like wow we, if we did this in america that would be amazing i'll tell you what if you go to norway or sweden the girls will insist on paying for the half the date <laughs> <laughs> i'm joking look I'm offer to pay and just making a joke that it's like, I mean, things like that. It's just interesting culturally. I mean, the woman will actually say, listen, I, I insist I'm going to pay and they mean it. Uh, that's kind of, a, I mean, that's true, but I'm just making a joke there. Um, 
you know, we do, we do have in USA a good sense of patriotism. Like we appreciate our soldiers and our firefighters and things like that. Whereas a lot of countries don't at all, at all. Um, let's see. Um, I've been to some countries where the pollution is much, much worse, right? So we, we're doing okay there compared to some countries. I won't say the names of the countries. And of course, they're developing hardworking countries. Um, I'll tell you, I think that some countries are keeping their sense of family values better than we are. We do have great families and great um, values. We have people who have those values here. And by the way, I'm not judging anyone. Like, like there's one way to have values and there's some way, another way that's wrong. I'm accepting of all kinds of, of uh, ways of living. I'm just saying that, that um, in some countries, they really try to keep the family unit together. So some countries do that a lot better. Some countries, um, people do, like, I remember uh, in, in UK, it's more like people have more like a, a civic duty to help the, I don't know how it is now, but I remember that was a big, big talk back, back a while ago about, you know, that's one thing about uh, being, being from, from the UK is that you want to, you want to give back to, I mean, look at World War II, look at how, how they stood together really strong, you know? Uh, so some countries have that um, sense of moral duty to help each other out better than other countries. Some countries are just, oh, what's interesting is if you go to Texas, someone you don't know might go, hey, how you doing on the street? If you go to Germany, no one does that. If you go to Norway, no one does Russia, no one does that. If you go to um, uh, certain parts of Mexico, they'll say, hey, hello, on the street, in Guadalajara, in Mexico. They'll say hi on the street. Um, I'm just, it's interesting to see cultures in China. No one, no one talks on the street. Japan, they'll, they'll talk to you on the street, but no, I mean, they're very patient and nice in Japan. They're actually very, very patient people, very friendly. Even if they don't speak English, they'll try to help you. But, um, it's just interesting to see how people, you know, that's cultures, but everyone is also the same in the end, you know? So, uh, all kinds of good things, all kinds of bad things. It's just interesting to see around the world. Absolutely. I think it definitely gives you a a unique lens. And as you said, the commonalities of all of us, like, you know, sadly, I think a lot of focus at the moment is the differences, these 10% on each side that maybe we are different, but there's 80% in the middle. Yeah, the the basal elements that that we want to, you know, be safe ourselves. We want to watch our kids grow up. We want to feed them. We want to clothe them. That's shared whether you're in Senegal or, you know, London. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, then, as a meek, small farm boy myself who found martial arts, it definitely put me on a journey of improving my mental and physical um, confidence. You, you know, were traveling all around the world. You had obviously been the recipient of bullying. Walk me through not only your entry into wrestling, but but the kind of unique element that your coach had with his sambo background as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wrestled one year at age eight, which was really good for me. It helped me to defend myself when I got in those fights in junior. That one year of wrestling helped me a lot. One year, just one year really helped me a lot. Um, but high school, I was, I grew, I was, I was born as a, uh, as a, um, let's say a fat baby. Then I got sick and I got small. And then I grew really fast in high school. I grew really fast for some reason. I'm talking like absurd. So I, I grew so fast. I was very uncoordinated. So it, I got my coronation around 19 or 20 after high school. High school, I was okay. But I was introduced to Sambo, which is a Russian martial art, similar to jiu-jitsu. A little more explosive like wrestling, but with jackets. Um, that was age 16 or 17. My coach, Jerry Matsumoto, who passed away, unfortunately, uh, he introduced me to – this is before UFC 1. So I, I, I was doing submissions starting to right, right at the time or right before UFC 1. Of course, I – 
you know, I, I saw Hoist Gracie and it was incredible. And I met Hoist Gracie. I trained him. He, you know, he even cornered me one time. One of my fights, Hoist Gracie cornered me. Um, but the Sambo, the idea was, and this is one thing for some reason I hold in common with Jocko, my friend, Jocko Willink. If I say this morning, by the way, I said, you know, I feel kind of like I don't, I don't want to do, I don't want to work. Out. I was like, now I have to work out. So I just did a hard uh, Muay Thai kickboxing class and trying to get back in shape. If I say to myself that that's kind of, that's going to suck or I don't want to do that. Now I, I pretty much have, unless it's jumping off a, a cliff or nothing stupid, but, but I mean, um, so, so uh, I said to myself, well, I go, what's a submission? They go, that's, you have to tap or your arm breaks. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm like screw that. I'm like, that would suck. And I go, well, now I have to try it. And I tried it. And for some reason, it just made sense to me. I don't know why. I have no idea why it made sense to me, but it made sense to me more than other forms of grappling did. Uh, like wrestling. I like wrestling. I like I like judo. The, the submission aspect, for some reason, it just uh, it got, got me into it, got me fascinated. And then I started doing jiu-jitsu at age 19. And, um, yeah, a few years later, I, you know, I ended up becoming Abu Dhabi absolute world champion at uh, age 27. So yeah, I've, been, I've been competing for a long time now. I've been doing this sport for about 30 years, including wrestling. So when you look back now at the probably the, the mental resilience and toughness that you had to forge, whether you liked it or not, from the bullying early on to the growth spurt to the rather unique lens that you got as far as introduction to wrestling with the Sambo um, parallel training as well. What do you attribute to your success with relatively small, you know, short amount of training compared to kids that were wrestling ever since they were in middle school that allowed you to win some of these competitions? Well, it's, it's, um, I don't know if I get this just from my personality or, or, or my family, or maybe how I was, where I was raised. I'm not sure. Um, it's the ability to actually not live in a dream world. I don't mean it like that. If, if, if I, I was, I would think of unrealistic things. Like when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be a fireman and an astronaut at the same, you know, whatever that great. Hey, good job. You can do both. Right. But <laughs> We know now as an adult, that's, you know, come on, pretty hard to do that. But in my mind, I wanted to do, I want to be an astronaut and a fireman. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, and uh, whatever, and two other things, right? So as you get older, you have to uh, find some more realism in what's, what's possible. But I never, I never counted myself out of the highest level. Like, like I could see the toughest person and I could, I could think there's a way to beat that person. There's always a way. And, you know, I can, I can become stronger. Um, and there's that um, great story about the the bamboo tree. Have you heard of that story? I forget. I'm, I'm off. I'm off by the by the time the time. It's like you have to plant the the seed. I don't know for for like two years before it starts to grow. But then when it starts growing, it grows like a foot per day. I, I, I'm off by. It, it, by the way, I'm I'm not doing the story justice. It's a, it's a, told with a really good narrative voice. Has illustration. The bamboo bamboo tree story. And it just says that how long does it take for an 80 foot tall bamboo tree to go? Well, it actually takes two years and two months. It doesn't take two months. It takes two years and two months. So you don't see much progress at all for two years, but it's the fastest growing thing that's living today. It's a bamboo. It just, it grows like, I don't know, a foot per day, more, more, I think. I should do that justice. That's the word justice and actually research it before I, I talk about it. So the, the story is it did not grow in two months. It grew in two years and two months. You don't see it for two years, though. So there's a lot of investment in time. You have to realize that you're, you are building something. And so I was told this specifically in jiu-jitsu. 
I started age 19. I was a wrestler that helped me. And so that, that gave me some experience. Um, my first tournament was I was 19 years old, went to the Los Angeles Police Academy. It was a Machado tournament. Of course, the Machados are one of the more accomplished families in the history of jiu-jitsu. There's five brothers. And uh, I took second. It was my first tournament. So I, I, I had two, two Brazilian guys, and then I, I lost to an American guy in like 2-0 or 4-2. I'm not African. I was 19 years old. I don't even have that on film. Um, so at the end of the day, they had five. At that time, there were about eight American black belts in the whole country. Eight or ten, maybe. And there were, you know, hundreds of Brazilians. The Brazilians, were, they're still super dominant. But at that time, there was no comparison. There was, there was no such thing as an American that could compete against a high-level Brazilian. So I'm a blue belt. And I see they have five super fights at the end of the tournament. Five Americans, black belts versus five Brazilians. And a, a few of them wore the Machados. And I'm talking the, the Brazilians. It was like they had their babies on the Their babies were on the mat ready to give a, a, a victory speech. Like they had the baby on the mat. Hey, hi, hello. How are you doing? And the babies are waving at them. Like they went out there and just pulled guard, swept, uh, mount, got the back choke on all, all five opponents. It was just, it was a train wreck. I mean. It was very impressive to see the level of the Brazilians, the high-level Brazilians of that day, and of course, today as well. So I went to an American black belt, and I was a 19-year-old punk kid. I said, hey, sir. He goes, yes, uh, what's going on? I go, hey, the Brazilians, they're super dominant. He goes, yes, they're very dominant. I go, well, is there any way that can we ever compete against them? I mean, they're, they're so good. He said, he said, you want the, the, the truth? I went, yeah. He goes, how old are you? I said, 19. He goes, well, they've been training since they were five years old. Okay, so if you can go back in time and start age five in Brazil, you might have a chance. So really, nah, you don't have, you know, you can't. No, there's no way. So I was kind of like, okay, thank you, professor. I walked away. It was kind of sad. Mm, driving in my car home, and I was like, I was like, screw that, man. That's that's some BS. That's some bullshit. You know, because like, like, what's he talking about? You know, really, really, like, I I have no chance. And so I never counted myself out. And I I I get this question a lot from, especially ten years ago in Europe from Europeans. They, they would say Brazil is super good. USA now is, is also good. Um, of course, there's good people around the world. But as far as the two main countries that do jiu-jitsu that are, let's say, having the most stars is Brazil and USA. It was 10 years ago, at least. And uh, they say, is there any way the Europeans can compete against the Brazilians? I said, yes, absolutely. You just have to never give up. Find your, your style. You have to find something you believe in, something on your path. You have to know your weaknesses. You have to... With the sharpen your weaknesses, but you also want to have a path. You know, you don't want to be the jack of all trades, master of none. You want to find something, a specialty, something that gives you a threat. Um, embrace whatever you think is is your path. Find a good coach. You know, I never discouraged them. And so, for some reason, I was I was able to never count myself out of anything. Um, first time I went to Abu Dhabi, two thousand one, I was a purple belt. I I won my first match. I lost my second match to Ricardo Almeida, who was also super, of course, super good. He's a black belt. And uh, yeah, I never counted myself out. Two years later, I was the I was the world champion, absolute world champion. And it's like um, it's a combination of, of 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 technique, of conditioning, of strength, of toughness. You have to, you can't you can't you can't imagine you, you can't you have to be tough tough enough. You know, um, you have to be strong enough. You have to be mobile enough. You have to have enough technique. You have to have enough maturity. You know, so hopefully that all comes together at the right time and you can proceed as an athlete. So. That, I think that's one thing I've done pretty well is not to live in a fiction world, fictitious world, but never count yourself out. Something that seems like out of your hands, if, if you 
there's a way to get that. If, if there is a way to achieve something, I mean, there's a way to make a million dollars. If you're homeless, there is a way. I'm not saying it's easy. There is a way. If you actually believe in yourself, maybe in 10 years, you could have a million dollars. It's possible. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying everyone can do it. I'm saying there's a way. There's a way to do anything, you know? So that's one thing I, I know I've been uh, good at doing in my life for some reason. When I did Taekwondo, we're talking a way lower level than you're talking about right now, but I remember in my in my kind of area, my circle, there was this rock star that would win all the competitions and he took some time off and came away and came back. And when he did, he was then now the same belt the, between the two belts that we fought at. And it was a team competition. My team and, and, and his team were in the final and I ended up beating him when I got past that kind of mental block. And, you know, it was it was so like, it grabbed me so much because this is a guy I revered and it, you got past that kind of hero worship of someone and realized they were just a person. You ended up beating Jean-Jacques Machado after originally being in a tournament you know, that his family had set up. Was there a moment like that when, when you won that particular fight? You know, I didn't want to face him, to be honest. Uh, he needs, um, he's one of my heroes and uh, unfortunately I had to face him. Um, that wasn't like... Um, that was kind of a respectful match we had. Um, pinnacle of my life was 2003. And just because, like, you know, what's called 50-50. By the way, I'm not saying I invented that position. No one goes, oh, you, I know I didn't invent it. But no one showed it to me. No one showed that to me. It was just a system of crossing my legs around your hips. So you can't you can't turn out of a heel. Look, I figured that out. It, like, in 99, I figured that out. And I was using that for a while. Now, most tournaments, you couldn't do helix. So I wouldn't. I, no one knew about it. So... 2003 is when I was innovative enough. I was strong enough. I was fast enough, young enough, and technical enough to win in the absolute division. It was a, it was a good day. That was my pinnacle. 2011 also was another another rise. Uh, you know, I, I came back after eight eight years. You know, so completely different athletes, completely different generation now competing. I won again. That was, those are both really good days. Jujak uh, Machado is, I think, is more accomplished than me personally. Um, you know, he's, he was older and he was, he was also smaller than me. So that match is something I don't want to really address. It's just, uh, he took it also short notice and my hat is off to him, you know, for everything he's done for the sport. Absolutely. Well, I had, um, Eric Paulson on recently. Um, and so he talked about his kind of catch wrestling lineage. What were the influences that took you to, to focus on, on the legs, on the heel hooks and some of these other techniques when a lot of schools weren't teaching it at that time? You know, it sounds funny, like like uh, like maybe I'm lying, <laughs> like I'm exaggerating. I, but I'm not. I remember that. Okay, I was looking at the arms, the wrists, you know, the shoulders, the neck, neck cranks. You know, by the way, I learned neck cranks because you, you face a tough wrestler that knows neck cranks. You better learn what those are, even if they're dirty. You should learn how to stop. In my opinion, legs. When I did sambo, uh, leg locks were like, you know they were considered equal to an arm. So maybe that's one of the reasons I had that, that idea was because of my background. But if you look at nature, if you look at where, uh, let's say the Eagle has its spot in, in nature, the coyote has its, its niche, his niche or whatever, uh, the wolf, uh, you know, the, the elk, the, and the beaver, the, the otter, they all have their, the niche, the rats. I mean, the rabbits, you know, if you go to Australia, they have their own animals that cover all those niches, you know, and the kangaroos, they don't have, I'm not sure if they don't have deer, but I mean, they, they have things that cover that, 
the area of nature. If you go to Africa, they have completely different animals that cover all those niche, niche, these, uh, niches, these places. So I looked at like leg walks and I'm like, that's a missing thing in nature. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so like uh, there was no, I don't know, there was no Wolverine or whatever. You know, that, that wolf, the Wolverine is not existing in, in this part, in this sport. That, that there's one thing missing. And I, I actually imagine it's just, it sounds ridiculous. I don't know, I don't know, otter, wolverine, a wolf, whatever it is, that, that animal is missing in jiu-jitsu. And I, I just happened to, you know, become not the first person to do lake locks at a high level, but the first person, let's say, um, not the first person, I, I guess I'm like, um, you know, I, I did it at the Abu Dhabi level. That's, I did it, repl I, did it repl I replicated it many times in Abu Dhabi. That's the difference. And to the toughest guys in the world. And, and there's a saying in Brazil. Um, I remember not saying it. It was, it was mentioned to me that, hey, Dean, you're doing these leg locks. I mean, they're kind of dirty. It's like, what do you mean? They said, well, the, the, the choke is the king. You know, it's the royal family. And the queen is the arm lock. You want to stay in the royal family. The, the foot lock is like the dirty thief, you know? Like, uh, and I, but I, I told them back in Portuguese, well, it's good to know the thief and the king and the queen. They're like, oh, okay, okay. I'm like, because the thief can do some things you don't even know about, you know, some secret things that no, no, you know, <laughs> some dirty things. The thief knows how to do it. You know, they were like, ah, they're laughing about it. So, so uh, it's just that I have a weird way of thinking about things, a little unconventional. I teach a little bit differently. I learn a little bit differently. I talk, of course, a little bit differently uh, than, than some people. Um, but because of that, it gave me a way, let's say the style at that time that I, I had was no one really had a style like mine at the time, you know, and so it was hard to face me. And also, I was, I was known as being somewhat tough. I mean, it's hard to submit me. Um, I was known as I'm I'm, a, I'm definitely above average strong in, in my I'm not the strongest, but I'm up there. Um, so those things all came together, um, such as I always start I always start in bad positions. You know, at least I don't want to start with you mounted on me. I don't want to start mounted. It's too, it's not like it's boring. It's just, it's, I want, I want to get twice the workout you're going to get. And then I also want to have them in my mind. See, I don't want to use too many cliches, but the old saying that the best defense is a great offense. It sounds good on paper. The idea is that if I'm attacking you all the time, I don't have to defend, but truth is you will be attacked and you will have to defend. So I prefer if your defense is so solid, you can attack all the time because you don't worry about being, you know, attacked. You know what I'm saying it's opposite. So that's why I start from really bad positions. I get tougher, I get stronger, I get more relaxed. And that's why I've been in some really serious situations and I'm very relaxed. And of course, there's other athletes that do that as well. I'm not saying anything special about myself, but I specifically start and I start in submissions. Like, like I'm talking, start with me in an arm lock. I'll start from there. When I get out, then I'll continue the whole match. So then when I get an arm lock or a foot lock or a triangle choke in, in a competition, I'm more like, yeah, you know, I'm here all the time. I don't stay there. Um, actually, I've gotten some places where I can just I can just hang out in a submission because I've just done it for such a long time. Um, and that's why in Brazil, when I won, they were just, what, what the hell, you know, how did you survive the three, four submission holds of the day? And I, I mentioned, well, I probably spent like a couple hundred hours in a triangle in my life, you know, <laughs> in my life. And that made this, this, the center, the, the centerfold of the magazine was that, was that same. So, so I, I, have a, I have a different approach than the average person. That's all.
Yeah, well, I, I like that philosophy. It reminds me of, I think it was Michael Phelps who would do whole training sessions with water in his goggles and, you know, do things that went wrong. And obviously we're talking difference between, you know, water in your goggles and being a triangle as the as the, the circle shrinks. But yeah, I mean, getting your worst case being in the gym versus, you know, training under kind of nice, quote unquote, nice conditions. And then your worst case is on the mat or God forbid, even on the streets. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. Now, I'd love, I'd love to kind of get your take on, you know, grappling and law enforcement. Before I do, obviously, one of your close friends is Jocko. Talk to me about that kind of introduction into the tactical world with the skill set that you had from martial arts. You mean tactical as far as Jocko using it? What yeah, well, yeah, as it's training, as training some of our special operations, you know, men from, you know, back in that, that, that early days of jiu-jitsu. You know, um, I don't know. I probably had over 180 SEALs as students. I mean, you know, training partners and students, mostly because of Jocko. And it's ironic that I've had more Navy SEAL students than I've had police students. You know, police need it more. I mean, Navy SEALs are they're generally just very hardworking, tough people um, who, you know, they'll get up earlier and train. You know, that's just generally the personality trait they have. Um, I don't know why the average cop needs it. Now, now the thing is I've done many law enforcement seminars, many, I don't know. I don't know how many I've done. Uh, I've even done, I've done things involving, involving weapons retention and things like that as well. Uh, that's not my main, main focus, but I've, I've definitely been training in that and educating myself. You know, um, I've seen videos of, of let's say one suspect just completely overpowering three cops completely. I'm not saying that, Everyone has to become high. I'm not, I understand there's some strong people there on drugs, you know, but Jocko and his, his two guys, <laughs> uh, they would have, they, they would have detained him. There's no, there would be no chance. Jocko with his two guys training in jiu-jitsu, Navy SEALs, no chance. I can't, I don't know. What am I talking about? I, I have life experience. I've fought people on drugs before, you know, I know it's not easy. I've been bit before in fights. It's not cool. But I'd rather than bite my elbow than my nose. You know what I'm saying? So things like that. Yes, it's a sport. I understand. But you know one thing, and and I uh, I had a I had a Zoom call with um, ten Marine officers who were talking about my my training uh, methods and you know similar to what we're talking about right now. I made a comparison. You know, there's something called simulation training, and of course you know what that is. Jocko knows what it is. Jocko is a big believer in it. Some people don't believe in it because simulations don't go through walls. By the way, anyone watching this, simulations is a it's basically a paintball on steroids. It, it'll cut you. It, it's from a real rifle, but it's a, it's paint. It'll, it'll hit you and you know, you got shot. It hurts. Okay. But it won't kill you. You wear ballistic goggles and whatever. I've gone through that training. Um, I have scars from those simulations, by the way, they, they leave a scar. Um, so the thing is, if you only do that training, is that war? No, but it's a tool to help you get close. It's closer to getting shot than let's say um, laser tag or something, you know? So that's something I mentioned to them and they were like, they were nodding their head. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So it's as close as you can get. Well, it's not as close. It's, it's a tool. That's all it is. So jujitsu is not, it's not the thing. It's just, it's a big tool to help you not hurt yourself as bad. You can fall better. You can actually hurt people less. You can control someone without hurting them. And if you have to, you can, you can hurt someone if you have to, you know? And I think that's, it's really valuable for, for police um, to do in my opinion. Um, also makes you more of a calm person, more, much more calm. You will find a few jujitsu athletes that are bullies, but it's rare. If they're high level, it's pretty rare. 
in my opinion. The bullies are usually the guys, maybe a blue belt, white belt, you know. As soon as they get higher level, by the way, even a blue belt is rare, very rare. You get some kids, white belt wrestler at a high school, he'll be a bully maybe, you know, because he's a 19-year-old, you know, it happens. Um, I don't know. I think martial arts makes you hum- more humble and, and more hardworking and more appreciative about things. And you use, use a lot more control and you're more calm, in my opinion. So, so I, I think it's over. It's, it's just invaluable. I, I've, I've gone to some departments and actually done seminars. And there's usually a resident, what they call a hands-on guy, like the local guy for a small department. And he's usually threatened. He doesn't usually, sometimes they're really accepting. But back in the day, especially like in the early 2000s, they were like, they were like, no, nah, we can't be on the ground. I'm like, well, do you end up on the ground? And the, the guy, he said, well, we're doing our job wrong. I go, well, do you ever end up on the ground? Well, if we do, we're, in, we're doing our job. So he wasn't showing anything on the ground. And I was like, well, why, why even cover how to, how to uh, you know, if you have a malfunction in your pistol? You obviously didn't clean your pistol, right? right? So it never happens. No, 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 no. You have to, well, well, so basically the training is in case something goes wrong. You know, there, you, you know, there's like level two, three champs in your pistol. There's different ways to, you know, eject the magazine, re-rack the slide. I mean, that's a level three or whatever it is. Uh, you tap it. There's all kinds of ways to clear a jam in your pistol. That's in case something goes wrong. Does it mean you didn't clean your pistol correctly? Maybe. Maybe it just was a malfunction. So that right there kind of pissed him off. He's like, yeah, of course we do that. I'm like, well, then you did your job wrong in your pistol because why'd you have a jam? That pissed him off right there. Actually, he was upset at me. But I was like, I didn't say it in front of the whole group. There are 80 cops there. I told him, he was kind of giving me like, like, you know, we, we can't be on the ground. It was my day teaching. So the, the captain invited me. So, you know, I was, it was my day. But, it, and I wasn't trying to teach him their job because I'm not a cop. But I'm telling you how to hold someone, how to restrain them. Um, back then, you could choke, actually. Nowadays, most departments can't choke because of certain things that happened recently. And so I just think it's uh, training is uh, to help you in case something goes wrong. That's why I like to start in bad situations. Make sense? So for police, I think it's invaluable training, in my opinion. Not to become a jiu-jitsu athlete, but to learn about how to fight on the ground better. That's all. Well, touching on chokes for a second, being I'm a blue belt at the moment, so um, brand new blue belt, very, very inexperienced kind of shit, blue belt in jiu-jitsu, but love it. Um, and, uh, you know, you see the the control and, and the potential of de-escalation through a choke. You know, if you're able to 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 get someone to the point where they they black out or nearly black out as someone's putting cuffs on, for example. It seems to me like that's a valuable tool. I had a, a police chief in, from Idaho, very, very progressive. Actually, he's, he's done a lot of stuff with Echelon Front, um, Roger Shai. I don't know if you've crossed paths, but he was all for keeping chokes in you know it's so that you can you know restrain someone safely and then and then they're not a danger to themselves or anyone else what is your perspective of that philosophy of keeping the choke in if if there is the right training of the people involved wearing the uniform i know it's once again this is a divisive subject because certain things that happened recently um specifically with uh, mr floyd uh, a very fortunate situation um the thing is this a chokehold done correctly is not as dangerous as someone thinks. Um, if you break the trachea or something in the throat, it's very dangerous. If someone's on drugs, they get a heart attack. Um, if you hold the choke too long, yes, like, like like three minutes, four or five minutes, yeah, they can die. If you put someone to sleep, I'm not saying that should be your first choice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just choke. I'm not saying that, but it's, it's not that bad. It's much nicer than even a taser, in my opinion. A taser, people fall, hit their head in the ground, die all the time. They fall, hit their head less than lethal. Right? Yeah, they, they hit their head in the ground, they're paralyzed now, okay? Um, 
it's ironic that now a chokehold is, is the same as shooting someone in a way, you know? Yeah, shooting someone is a little bit worse than choking someone, okay? Give me a rake. I, I understand it's a little divisive because of what happened, you know, and, and the, you know, also you, you don't you don't want to stand, you don't want to, you don't want to have three cops standing on someone's back when they're on the ground, you know, then they can't breathe, you know, things like that. Of course, you know. Um, also you could hit someone in the head with a with a nightstick and they could die. And you know, um, it's just um I think that done in the correct way, it's, it's very, um, very, very effective. Now, it is true. If someone's on certain drugs and they can have a heart attack, and I've heard about that. Um, it's also true that it's happened before where little kids have learned, like, especially pro wrestling moves. So they're not doing jujitsu. When they do jujitsu, they know about tapping and then don't have to hurt other kids. I, um, little jujitsu kids actually become pretty responsible. Um, but kids learn, like, they see pro wrestling. They start doing the pro wrestling moves on their, you know, little four-year-old sister and little kids get hurt really bad also that way. So um, kind of funny. I'm making a, a comparison between pro wrestling and children and adults in law enforcement. But I am, I'm doing it anyways <laughs> because if, if, if you're wrong, if you do something wrong or something that's, let's say, uh, with some experience, you can do something better and much more efficient and you don't have to hurt anyone, in my opinion, overall. So yeah, chokeholds are not... They shouldn't be banned, in my opinion. They should be reserved for extreme control situations. Absolutely. I think it should still be allowed, yeah. Um, so one thing that kind of jumped in my mind then, a lot of the jujitsu training I've done, we start on the mat, on your ass. Um, and then, you know, when you're looking, especially in law enforcement, obviously a big missing piece is, is the wrestling piece, judo, sambo, yeah. you know, wrestling. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so talk to me about that philosophy because I know some jiu-jitsu schools are very, very competition focused and therefore it has a purpose. My particular journey is not competition now. I mean, I've, I've, I'm 48 and looking just to, you know, as you said, add some tools in the toolbox. God forbid something happens. Um, so what's your philosophy on, on, you know, when to stand up and, and, and the application, especially in the law enforcement side? Well, let's see. Takedowns should definitely be addressed, uh, specifically against walls. That's something a lot of wrestlers don't even go over. You know, the wrestlers can do it very well if they train with walls. Uh, I, I, I'm really good off a wall. Like I, I'm, I can fight off a wall. I can fight. I can put someone on a wall and they can't move. You know, I can take someone down. Um, what if someone's on their hands and knees and they're trying to stand up? I can, I can make it where they can't stand up, you know? So there's certain ways we can just prevent someone from standing up. Now what's cool about, let's say for law enforcement, let's say, usually it's you and a partner, the specific drills, you know, the goal, high, go high, go low. That actually works, <laughs> but we can get more deep you know, specific partner drills. Um, uh, the takedown game is very important. It's like um, not necessarily on a wrestling mat. I, like, I prefer to have matted uh, uh, walls so then you can work. I mean, of course, out in the street or whatever, you might have cars or a wall or it could be a damn street, uh, street light, <laughs> a pole. I mean, there's all kinds of surfaces that, I mean, you, you, could, you could be, it could be a damn counter. You know, there's barriers everywhere we face people. It's more common than not. You're not going to usually face someone in a football field. You know, that'd be different, kind of awkward. Uh, maybe in an elevator. How about that? Finding someone in an elevator who, I mean, think about it. How, how is someone going to get away from me in an elevator? You know, what if you are in an elevator? What if you're sitting next to someone at a damn movie theater? <laughs> can't really, I mean, you can throw a punch from there, but you can't really box. If you're standing, if you're sitting next to me in a, in a seat, what if we're in a car? You know? What if we're in a car? 
what if what if uh, the suspect broke the damn window in between the where you're driving and you start? <laughs> what are you gonna do? You can't really box him now. You got to grab his arms. You got to hopefully pull over first. But I'm just saying, there's all kinds of random scenarios that you learn how to like grapple in all kinds of crazy situations. Uh, I even learned how to grapple in a pool. It's funny. Um, I had some water polo friends. Water polo is a very tough sport, by the way. You know, really, really tough sport. Um, I'm a strong swimmer, but I'm not a fast swimmer. The water polo guys were like, oh, you can beat us on the mat, but we can beat you in the pool. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. So I got in the pool and I made the mistake of, I let my head get in front of my feet and they, they dunk your head and you tap because you're, you're bound. <laughs> and it is, by the way, we're at 18, 19. This is really stupid, but you know, so if your head gets in front of your body, they just go, they dunk your head and you lose. Okay. <laughs> you lost. So then you realize you have to keep your head right above your feet. And then I could hang with them actually. They could swim around me. They were better swimmers, but they couldn't, they couldn't push me down anymore. That's awkward. How to fight in a pool. Who thinks about that? Right. So I don't suggest fighting in a pool. It's dangerous. Please don't do that. Okay. But I learned that lesson. If your head gets in front of your feet, you're trying to chase them because they're faster swimmers than me, but just dunk your head, you lose. And then you have to keep your feet up. Right. That's swimming in a damn pool. Young, dumb punk kid. Don't do that, please. All right. It's, it's not smart, but I mean, finding different environments. What if there's a tree? I mean, what if, you know, the Marines, the, the Micmac guys, they train in the sand, you know, you throw sand in someone's eyes. I'm not saying that's fun or you should do that to your friend, but learn how to fight in different areas. Uh, one time I got in a fight, I, I broke my pinky because I fell on the concrete, I fell on the ground, broke my pinky. You know, I should open my hands. I know better, but I, I forgot, you know. So um, I think it's just really good to keep yourself open-minded, you know, um, open-minded about things and what you can use around you, of course, you're wearing, you know, your surroundings is really important. It's a human being in general, you know. Absolutely. Well, saying about fighting in the pool, it reminds me of lifeguard training. You actually do scenarios where someone's trying to drag you and you suck, tuck and duck and, you know, you drag them down to the bottom, they shit their pants, let go and then you go back up again. But yeah, I mean, you don't think about that. It may not be a malicious intent, but even if you're trying to facilitate a rescue in water, it's good to know how to protect yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you touched on one of the pillars as far as success in the combat arts as conditioning. Um, I had a good conversation with Tim Kennedy recently, and it's another observation I've made in jiu-jitsu specifically in the school, is there are you know so many people that are higher skilled than me, but I did notice that three, four rounds in, a lot of them now, the, the skill had dissipated due to the, the exhaustion. So talk to me again about the philosophy of the conditioning side alongside the technical skill side. Well, okay, that's where competition really helps. That's where, you know what, I, I, like I've seen combat as a little kid in Panama. I, I didn't really see, I wasn't, I didn't have a gun. And, but I mean, I was scared and I was just like lying on the ground for like a couple of days. Um, so what I've learned from my friends who've been in combat is, I mean, that's why experience is really important. I mean, if you get through a few battles, you're more calm. You can do your job better just from being in a few battles. So, and that's extreme, of course. Let's say about, physical conditioning um if you're physically conditioned and you're technical but you've never put them together under pressure it's not the same so you could have an out of shape i don't i don't mean fat I'm, okay yeah okay you could have an out of shape seasoned fighter who can relax not in good shape you have someone who's technically proficient and in shape but they never actually competed it, man it's a problem that person who has experience they can relax. They don't have to get super tired. Now, you want to be in shape, okay? You want all of that. You want to be technically proficient. You want to be in shape, and you want to be able to engage your, 
your adrenaline. Like you, you want to be able to control your adrenaline. Everyone's experienced like one time where, I don't know, a dog jumped at them or, or they almost got in a car accident where your heart and, and you feel tired afterwards. Like you're like, oh, I feel tired. Your adrenaline just went all through your body, prepared you for, I don't know, a fight or, or a serious situation. So you don't, you don't feel pain at the moment as, as much. And, uh, and, and you're stronger for that moment just to survive some situation. And, you know, but if you don't control that, you'll be, you're just dead tired. So you can be in great, great, great shape, great shape. Something happens to throw your adrenaline off. Um, you're super tired. That's why it's really important to do these high pressure drills. Um, you know, in the military, they do them all the time. Um, law enforcement, they do them all the time. They should at least. Um, in fighting sports, you do them all the time. You know, you, your, your training should be stressful. It should be. It makes you more relaxed overall. Uh, but so being in shape is imperative. Absolutely. But you have to find a way to connect. Not You can say mind, body, soul you, if you want. But that sounds too cheesy. I want to say you want to get yourself to where your body can relax in a panic situation. Then you're smooth. You know, um, what's it? Slow is smooth, slow, slow. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast, whatever. You know, um, remember that when we were doing um, my limited firearms training with teams, we, we actually did active shooter, shooter response training. We were doing teams of three, four, five, and they have diamond, T, Y, they have different formations. And, and in this case, you don't check rooms, you just go where the, the shooting is and you have to go fast. And um, you don't run, though. You don't run there. You walk fast. You walk fast. You don't walk slow. You walk fast. You can't, if you run, I mean, I'm just saying, even, even there, and by the way, they were throwing flashbangs at us, but a flashbang for anyone who doesn't know, it's not like uh, the movies. It's, uh, it really jars you. It's, it's just something very surprising. Of course, Jocko and his guys have seen thousands of these things. I don't think it jars them. I, I actually, Jocko did tell me a story about one of his friends that was, uh, they call him crashes. He could just, he could throw crashes on the ground and he wouldn't react to them, you know? He, I mean, claims that, you know, so if you can get yourself, that's extreme, by the way, because they really jar you. They're meant to jar you. Even if you know it's going to happen, they'll still jar you for that one second. And that's the second that the person needs to come in and do their job. Um, so I think any kind of training you mentioned about the, the, the person trying to trying to drown you. What if you freaked out at the moment? We pull him down, he, make him let go of you and then swim to the top and maybe hopefully he doesn't drown, but at least he didn't drown. Right. Um, and what if you did panic at that moment and you didn't think about it? You know, maybe you both drowned, you know? So I think it's, it's really good to, to get, put yourself in uncomfortable situations. It's uncomfortable, you know? And uh, right now, what's funny, I just had a hard workout. I'm going to go do this cold dip. It's like 38 degree water. And uh, yeah, I get to where I can relax. The first minute sucks. You relax and you can sit for 10 minutes. 10 minutes is like the maximum. You know, you can go more, but it's not needed. You go 10 minutes, I can just relax. I do that on purpose because... Well, it's also really good for my body. I'm not getting younger, unfortunately. I'm getting older. Helps my body recover. But, um, you know, if you can put yourself in uncomfortable situations and relax, you can think about something else. We get to a moment where you can sleep between your jiu-jitsu matches. You're relaxed. And I got that point. I can, I can, oh, an hour I have a match? Okay, I'll take a nap. Yep. You know, and so think about that. If you, if you can get that point. Now, your first tournament, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. If, if you think that's going to happen, then, and you've obviously been through a lot of stress in your life and you can do that somehow. That's, a, that's incredible if you can do that. But most people, it takes them a few years before they can sleep between matches. And that's, that's, a, that's one of my signs. From when I see a fighter 
sleeping or relaxing before his fight. I'm like, right, good, good job. I'll get him, I'll get him amped up in the right way, not too much, but at the right time in the right way. So uh, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations uh, makes your day better, makes you more calm, makes you happier, and makes you, I think, better to, uh, to face life. Absolutely. Well, talking about the SEAL community and flashbangs, a resounding theme on this podcast with a lot of SEALs is the parallel struggles with PTSD and TBI. Now, you look at the the martial arts world or the, or the MMA world, I mean, you fought UFC, Pride, King of the Cage. You know, a lot of the martial artists have had on Bass Rutan and some of these, these amazing, you know, men and women. Um, I look at my striking path and the shootbox school I went to in LA back in, God, when was it? Oh, six oh seven was fight club and i've still got injuries yeah. from from that you know to this day um and i've watched you know to talk to greg jackson some of these other people how the the brain health seems to have become more apparent there's a little bit more of a less is more philosophy where you're sparring lighter and then saving the real strikes for the ring what have you observed in in your world in, in the fight world as far as tbis but also the, the mental health slash addiction element of fighters that are often, you know, cast aside once they're out of an organization. Yeah, it's a very similar personality. Um, you know, it's also some, a similar personality of like a bank robber also. It's, it's also bad, okay? And that's, uh, but a fighter, let's say, you know, it, it, it's like a wicked circle, you know, TBI um, or injuries and you miss training, you miss, you miss the maybe attention or the fame or, or, or the glory and then uh, you replace that with with alcohol or something like that. And then, um, then you, you don't train as good and you get injured more and, and then you get hit in the head more like, okay. So, so HBO did, it, it wasn't about me, but I was one of the main people they focused on. It was a real, real sports HBO with Brian Gumble. So it was a legit, um, <laughs> legit, uh, shooting, you know, it was over two days and, um, and yeah, it was, I was like, um, I was all fat and stuff. And, yeah, I went to a ceremony, a Native American ceremony, and we actually did a, a high dose of magic mushrooms. Which sounds like, whoa, what are you talking about? Well, that listen, listen, whatever, bro. If you use it as medicine, I used it, it made a big difference to me. Okay. And also you self, but it makes you self-reflect. So it's actually um, a hard thing to go through for me. It was a really hard thing to go through, but very positive. And, and I don't I don't need that right now. I might do, I might do it again in the future, you never know. Um, it's nothing to do like, um, to get high or something, you know, so matter of fact, they call that, um, abusing the medicine, you know, like if you abuse the medicine, um, you're, you're like, you're like, they actually call it raping the medicine, which, but I'm sorry that there are words you can't use, but that's what they called it. Like, like you're completely not, you're not, you're not, uh, using it. You're not using it. You're not letting it benefit you in the right way, you know? So, uh, that made a huge difference in my life. It was just one step. And then I went on a men's retreat in nature for like six days. You slept under the stars, some isolation. Um, that was really good. That was in Sacramento in the forest. You know, you just, you, you no iPhone at all. You just, you're away. And so a lot of people, in my opinion, they can't, it's too much distraction in their head. They can find a way to actually spend time by themselves alone. Uh, in nature, really, it does help. You know, there's all kinds of ways to answer this. It's just the TBI. Now we do train different. Of course, I know what you're talking about. I was at the same time. I've been hitting the head. I, you know, my fights. I've had some. I had one fight against Nate Marquardt where I got kneed in the head like five times. The first knee after that knee, I don't recall the rest of the fight. Happened in the first round. So, as you can imagine, I'm very sluggish. 
Now, he knocked me down for like four more times with knees. He, he, he had it down. My movements, he threw a knee and hit me in the head like five times. But I do not recall after the first knee. Did not knock me out. But concussion, I don't recall the whole, whole fight. These kind of things add up over time. I've had a match against Ricardo Arona in Japan and Pride. Got concussion from that. I was concussion from football. It adds up over time. So now we're, we're training better. Uh, there is therapy for it. It's just a lot of um, – it is a circle, though. You're right. People get caught in, let's say, something that is stressful or violent. Um, they, they replace, instead of working on themselves, they replace that with things to forget. You know, things to forget, things to – maybe I could live in my glory days one more day by drinking. I could just live in my – you know, I used to be a champion. You know, I, you know, I, I can drink. You know, oh, you know what, you know, my – Someone died. I want to forget about that right now. Or when we remember someone who died. I mean, you, you live in the past and you live in the moment, but you forget about the future. And the future seems very, it's like a lot of despair. I understand what, I understand what, you know. And the thing is, when I talk about my war, it's not, it doesn't really, I mean, it counts for a kid to live there in Panama during that. But I can see how it's just pure chaos. You don't, you, you don't know what's going on around you. I mean, at least I, I didn't as a little kid. It's, it's just a, it just um, the whole the whole sky lit up with just with just lights everywhere, just explosions and not explosions. I'm talking like I didn't see them because I was on the ground. But I'm saying the the the, the night was lit up for, with things, you know. You know there was things flying through the air and things like that. You know, it's just a lot of uh, a lot of stimuli, and uh, and I see how that could even be, be addictive because it's it's such an extreme thing in life to to go through. It, it, it's like real. It's a real thing and. Most people think God have not experienced it, but it's like, um, yeah, a lot of fighters it happens to, you know, they get, they get their fights, they get concussions, they get injured, they got a painkillers to stop the pain and they can't train as well. And they regret their decisions. You know, it's a circle. Yeah. So it's a problem. Um, I think that if you can find a sport that you love and you can just do it for fun and don't worry about competing at some time, that's going to be very healthy. Of course, having a, a very good uh, family support group and good group of friends, brothers, it's really good to have that as well. Um, and of course, uh, uh, try not to get hit in the head anymore. You know, that adds up, you know. Imagine um, some of the guys on the show with me, yeah, they, they were they were veterans, you know, they've been blown up. I've never been blown up before. I mean, that's different than getting hit in the head with, with a kick. By the way, getting kicked in the head is not fun. It's, that's the, it's something, right? But I never, I've never been blown up before. You know, I have a, fr- I have a friend named Cowie. Um, he was he was wounded in in Iraq, uh, real bad. He's a seal, and he's been blown up. I don't know how many times, you know. So that's got to change, you know, your reality. Of course, it's a very complicated thing we could talk about for sure. Well, the the solutions seem to parallel the seal community. I've had so many seals now that went to South America and did the ibogaine treatment, um, and then psilocybin, yeah. the ayahuasca. I mean, from I what I, yeah. you did, oh, yeah. So so the psilocybin is the only herbal plant that i've i've heard excuse me plant that i've heard actually um heals tbi like there's there's actually see repair you know and these are things that are legal that we have to go to other countries to go yeah well there's certain places you can do in california because it's 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 considered tribal medicine uh, you can't drive around with it in your car but i mean you're certain but you can legally do it and some people i know they're super anti-drug oh, dean what, what the hell are you talking about? i'm telling you uh there's 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 a um evidence that it can rebuild neural pathways so like concussions or or addiction or whatever it is i mean that people have you know it maybe it severs certain uh, neural pathways and and this actually helps to open them you know it's a natural medicine yeah 
done responsibly. Okay. I'm not trying to advocate anyone doing dumb things with drugs. You know, it's a, be very foolish, you know? So there's evidence. So, so they show me the day before and my face is very puffy and I'm like, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm kind of like talking like that, like that. The next day I have a light in my eye. I'm talking the next day. And even Brian Gumble, he said, Hey, you're smiling today. You weren't smiling yesterday. I was like, really? I am. I was smiling. So it's just funny how in one day there was a difference, right? You're saying it's just, it's just a tool. You know, there's things that, you know, you would think like a hundred years ago that someone thought we could be doing this right on a Zoom call. You know, that's like, there's like Jetson stuff, you know, no way. That's like, it's like, you know, maybe in 500, you know, no way. Um, well, in a hundred years, we're going to know things that we do not know right now. You know, maybe in 20 years, of course, 20 years. I mean, think about medicine, what they can do nowadays versus 30 years ago. I mean, so, so I, I want to keep an open mind about things. There's all kinds of things. I never done Ibogaine. I don't know if I even need to do that stuff anymore because it, it really helped steer me in the right direction, you know, done in the right environment, uh, done correctly, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's something that some people are still, they're very close-minded to because it sounds bad because as a kid, I grew, I grew up, oh, drugs are really bad. And by the way, drugs are bad. Um, and I, I don't count mushrooms and ayahuasca as a drug-like. It's not recreational or shouldn't be used recreationally. It's just something that uh, used in a responsible manner to kind of set yourself straight because you, you self-reflect you know, instead of forgetting about everything, you think about everything. You think about everything. You, you, you see some really, really sad, messed up things, but it helps you, it helps you know what you're doing wrong in life. You know, I really mean that at the same time, it opens up neural pathways in your brain. So yeah. Yeah. I'm a big believer in it actually. Beautiful. Well, I just want to hit one more topic before we go to some closing questions, if that's okay. Circling around to your early life, bullying. So seeking discomfort. I watched my son, um, you know, really, really grow from his jujitsu experience. I mean, he did tournaments and, and never won, often came last or, or second from last. And it was irrelevant. Like he was he was constantly with kids that were usually bigger or just simply better. But Watching how those kids were and watching the adults that I, I roll with now in my school that I, I saw out and drive like a, an hour and a half round trip to go to this specific school, that community, that that discomfort, that um, the humility of of rolling together and learning from each other, not trying to quote unquote win the role. Um, there are so many takeaways. What is your view of martial arts to counteract some of the issues that we're seeing in the Western world at the moment? Well, for kids, you mean specifically? Yeah, kids? I mean, that's the state. Let's stay with kids. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, those are the, you know, yeah. that's, that's the entry level. Well, kids, you got to make it fun, you know? So it depends how young the kid is. You can't make it too hard for the kid initially. Um, but I think it's healthy for the kid, the, the youngster, to see some challenges, you know, because what is, I mean, life is all about challenges. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, challenges in school, you can have challenges in relationships, you can have family challenges. Um, it's just a reflection of a lot of things that life can throw you away. So let's see. You want, you want kids to have fun. You want them to learn a technique. You want them to learn how to defend themselves. And you want them to be more confident and more calm at the same time. Could, could, you, could you say it again one more time, what you mean? Because I'm yeah. trying to focus on different things. Maybe. Yeah, no problem. I'm probably kind of mixing two concepts together. So 
ultimately, um, you know, the same way that I think it was the Dalai Lama said that, you know, if, if every child meditated, then the world, you know, would be such a, a better place, would be a much more peaceful place. I feel the same about martial arts. And so many people that have come on here, many whom had bully stories, um, you know, they are kind of warrior poets now. They're, they're very strong men and women, but they're very calm, peaceful, kind men and women. And so I think the way that you address bullying is not teach kids how to fight bullies, but you teach how teach bullies as well how to stop being bullies. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, you're going to every once in a while find a UFC fighter that's like a bully, but it's rare. It could happen. It's just the top, the higher level guys, they've been hit enough times to where there's like, you know, whatever. I've been, I've been hit by, I've been hit in the face, hit in the face, choked, whatever, by any description of any man you can imagine. Black, white, Asian. I'm talking what, how about country? How about culture? I mean, every, I've been around the world, you know? So you become more accepting of the world and what it is. At the same time, you're getting stronger. You realize that you're, you're not as strong as as you, you might have thought before, but you're getting stronger, see? So it's like both. You're not as strong as you thought, but you're getting stronger. Or you can just think you're super strong and not get stronger. See what I'm saying? So if you, if you think that you're super strong and, and you're not going through uncomfortable uh, experiences, then I don't, I don't know. You're like on a bad path, in my opinion. And, you know, I, I have ki- well, kids. Sometimes adults come in. Has not happened in a long time. Happened more in the past. Well, you get a guy come in like he's a 19-year-old wrestler. He's good for a 19-year-old kid. Comes in and he's like, being, let's say he's trained by like a, a dentist or something. He's going real hard. The guy's 40 years old. He's going really hard in this, this dentist or something. I'll go, hey, uh, hey, Tom, right? Hey, hey calm down, bro. We're like, yeah, okay. If he keeps doing it, I go, hey, Tom, you know, calm down. If he keeps like roughing up my students, like, hey, come, hey, come, we got to train over there, you and me. I'll take him on the mat and like, I will not, I will not hurt him, I promise, but I'll submit him like 20 times or something like that. And then, uh, Usually the kid comes the next day like, oh, you know, like, oh, that, that day they're like, they're crushed. They're, they're just like, what the hell happened? You know, because because where they are from their high school, I mean, they're the toughest kid from their high school. And, and, and that's tough because, you know, there's a couple thousand kids in the high school. Maybe, OK, but, you know, he comes in this and he's like being too rough on someone. He has to learn to calm down uh, to not go so hard on people. So the next day he'll come back and be, he'll be already like basically changed in one day or he'll quit. If he quits, I just, you know, it's unfortunate, but I don't, I can't have him hurting my students, you know? So I don't know. I think it's a set path. Like, like I want to realize I'm not as strong as I thought I was, but at the same time, I'm getting stronger versus just living my fantasy world of I'm super strong and I'm not getting stronger. You know? Yeah, no, perfect. And I think that's, you've probably seen this in the SEAL community. Like so many people that come on here are some of the most dangerous, dangerous humans on the planet and also some of the nicest people I've met. And so I yeah. think humility is at the core of this. If you're a bully, there's insecurity. And when you're grounded and being humbled and realize there's always someone out there that will kick your ass, that <laughs> brings that ego down. And now you start being more of a, you know, a kind, compassionate person, a tough person, but a kind, compassionate yeah. one as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Someone, someone has a potential to be violent, but is not violent at all. Absolutely. Brilliant. All right. Well, then the first of the closing questions I love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. Hmm. You got to read Jocko's books. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. No, streaming ownership is is really good. He has like, I don't know how many dishes are already. Um, Let's see. Uh, I was like the... Miyamoto Musashi's Book of Five Rings. I like that. 
you know, Musashi, the story about him. He had, I don't know, how many 50-something duels, you know, back in the medieval Japan. I don't know, just, just crazy. His approach in life, he's very cold. But then later in life, he learns about, you know, to be nicer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, in those days, it was pretty hardcore. Um, I think of other ones. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm reading books about water, benefits of water, how, how to stay hydrated, how to sleep better, things like that. I actually have those books and I forget the titles, but I'm actually, I have some good reading in front of me. Um, my goodness gracious. Slip in my mind right now. Um, you're watching good World War II documentaries, you know? <laughs> yeah, but let's talk about that. That's the next question. So movies and documentaries. Well, you know, the thing is, I like, I like to look at some, some hard things that people went through to put my life into perspective, you know? I mean, one of my favorites, one of my favorites is uh, the, the, what's the escape from Stulak? It's a, uh, it's like the biggest prison break in World War II. It's like the Brits, the 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 Anzacs, and and uh, and the the Yanks, and they I don't know, like eighty of them escaped this tunnel. They had three tunnels: Tom, Dick, and Harry. That's what the name of the tunnels, and and they they got like eighty guys out, and like you know, three actually finally escaped. I don't want to ruin the whole. But it's a true story. That's just fascinating. Imagine just, you know, imagine just, you know. I like I, I to see people going through hard things and overcoming them, basically, you know, so documentaries about that kind of thing. Um, but recently I've been getting a little, um, what do you call rabbit hole of, I don't know why it horrifies me. <laughs> you know, this uh, underwater cave diving. I'm not doing that. I'm never going to do that, by the way, because <laughs> it's just so scary. Like, they go down, they get lost in these caves and they, they, you know, it's very dangerous. I don't know. I, I look, I look at things like, uh, like Musashi, who was it Musashi was saying? Like, you know, if you, imagine all the ways you can die. Like, just imagine it. It's uncomfortable, but but the more you do that, the more, the more relaxed you are about, like, life. You know what I'm saying? I know it's okay. So, so I'm not going to do that specifically, but uh, I like to watch documentaries about things like that. Crazy stuff, you know? Um, what, what does get my stomach turning is, especially the, the Russians, they're on those high buildings walking on. You know talking about? They're walking on, like, high ropes. Yep. They're, like, they're like 3,000 feet up in the air. They're walking on, like, a... You know, there's a little bar they're holding on them that uh, turns my stomach. But I like watching it because it puts my life into perspective, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Doing handstands and all kinds of stuff right on the very edge. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. With oh. one hand and the one pull-ups. And you thought that bar could break, bro. That bar could break. Yeah, exactly. I did see a video. I forget. I don't know if it was Russia or not, but of someone that, that slipped. They had it on film. And obviously, you don't see the, the gruesome impact at the bottom, but you see the guy's face as he loses his grip. So, yeah. Sorry. Was he was he a Chinese Chinese guy? Uh, I'm trying. I don't think so. I don't think it's particular one. He was a white guy, I think. This one is a Chinese guy. He was like a famous for doing it, and he filmed himself. But he do it by himself. He take his iPhone, put it in, film himself hanging. One time though, he chose the wrong building. He hang, he hung from a ledge, not a bar, a ledge, and the wall was like slippery, so he had no traction. He he couldn't uh, he couldn't scrape his way up. It was like it was slick, you know. So he's like trying to get up. He looks at the camera. He's holding on. He looks at the camera. And you can see, like, he knows he's, he's going to die. And he's like, and he just goes, you know, he's, you know, he died, of course. And he's still a couple thousand feet, but yeah, I'm not doing that either. No. Okay, I'm not doing <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> well, well, speaking of people that are still alive, um, is there a person you'd recommend to come on this show as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? Jocko would be real good. Hard, hard to get Jocko's time, though. Yeah, I've had Jocko on twice so i've been very very fortunate any of jocko's guys I'll tell you that jp leif 
all of them have great stories. All of them. Have, I mean, uh, Mr. Burke, all the, all the chocolates guys are probably the best I could recommend, you know, but, um, you know, it's interesting, even, even people who have, who've been to prison, they have some interesting stories and there's a lot, you know, <laughs> and they correct their life and they're, they're, they're functioning, you know, they're successful nowadays and they've been in prison. That's some pretty motivational stuff right there as well. You know, I mean, that's, a. Uh, I, I don't know anyone like that. I think, I think that would be a good, a good addition. You know, someone who's who's been locked up and they've turned their life around. That would be a good addition for you, maybe. Absolutely, I've had a few of those too, and, <laughs> and you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the trauma is trauma, and our ch- some of our childhood send us, you know, to a beautiful, uh, optimistic, um, growing path, and many send us on these bumpy roads through. And some people find themselves behind bars and then do incredible things in jail, and then some amazing things when they get out. Absolutely. If you can bear that, man, it's awesome. You know, if you can, it's hard. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to have that experience either, though. So we're going underwater cave diving, hanging off cliffs, and prison, and jail. And, <laughs> yeah, just you know what? Those three things: getting choked and kicked in the head, not that bad, in my opinion. So those three things, I'm not going to do. You know, absolutely. Uh-huh. All right. Well, then the last thing you, you kind of touched on the ice bath. Are there any other things that you do to decompress? Sauna, sauna. Jiu-Jitsu itself is decompression because you cannot be thinking of, you're not thinking about your personal problems at the time. So you, you by default have to focus on also boxing as well, but boxing, you get hit. I mean, I like boxing a lot, actually just getting hit in the head. I try not to do that right now. I, I, I get in shape and I do kickboxing. Yeah. I'm talking, if I'm kicking a bag over and over, I, I can't think about, you know, I'm forgetting. So I'm kind of meditating in my own way. Jiu-Jitsu is also is my absolute best, but sauna, hot sauna. Um, of course, don't, be careful on the saunas, of course. I'm not saying anything too much. And the cold dip is my favorite for sure. Or, or the uh, what do you call? Um, what do you call? It? Cry- cryotherapy is also really good. They're all really good. I think it's really good to get yourself bared in your moment and mix your day better. Helps your body relax. And if you can, if you can focus and relax in that environment, then uh, you know it's a form of meditation in a way. You know. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'd I'd love to to hear a little bit about the hero treats you got going on in, in Costa Rica before we can learn where to find you as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's um hero hero retreats. It'll be August six, seven, eight, nine in Tamarindo Beach. Uh, it's the region of Guanacaste. It's in it's in Costa Rica or Costa Rica, and uh, that's of course in lovely Central America. I'll be there for it'll be like five days, four days, whatever. I mean, everyone gets there the day before. And it's like a little vacation, but we're training twice a day. And uh, you know, get a tan and work on our Spanish, you know. Actually, I, I speak Spanish already. So anyone coming down can learn Spanish to take some surf lessons. And, uh, and my style is not just leg locks, but we're going to focus on what is what was kind of banned before. And now it's much more accepted leg locks, you know. So why would you ignore 50% of the human body? You should not do that. Come train with me. It's called Hero Retreats. It's in Costa Rica. And it's August 6, 7, 8, 9. You can find it. It's Ron. He's the he's the coordinator. He's the owner. It's a it's a kids program. It's a charity uh, for the local kids from Tamarindo, the city, where the kids train jiu-jitsu for free. Like, you know, the kids don't have much money. And they give them, like, geese, and they have this facility. And it's, it's lovely. And people in Costa Rica are very friendly. It's the most accepting of Latin America, I would say. It's also the safest country in Latin America that I've been to. So it's good times. Uh, Hero, BJJ. You can find it easy online. Look us up, and I hope to see you all down there one day. 
Beautiful. Well, speaking of uh, being taught by you, I attended your jiu-jitsu seminar at the end of uh, Echelon Front, and I literally used the technique you showed us about two days ago, the, oh, really? the, 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 the failed triangle, <laughs> so you raise your, your, your hips up and squeeze your hamstrings, and uh, the guy taps yeah, yeah, and looks yeah, at yeah. me, I'm like, Dean Lister taught me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, we call it the fat boy triangle, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also have strong legs for that one, yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Awesome. All right. Well, just one last thing for people listening. Where's the best places to find you online or we'll reach out to you? Online, it's easier to get me on Instagram, Dean Lister BJJ. That's at Dean Lister BJJ. I really don't even look at Facebook anymore. I, I don't know. I just transitioned. But that's that's about it. Otherwise, uh, um, over here in San Diego, um, come by here and train. We have a big gym with Jocko called victory mma it's in here san diego and it's a nice area and, and we have a great environment we have a, we have a cold dip we have a sauna we have nice nice locker rooms we have great jiu-jitsu high level it's a welcoming environment it's not a bullying environment we have a weight room we have a crossfit room it's this incredible facility so come by and uh hope to see y'all soon Beautiful. Well, Dean, I just want to say thank you. Um, you know, I know how busy you are. I see you traveling all over the world um, and training some incredible people as well. But I truly appreciate you being so generous with your time today. Absolutely, brother. And I look forward to seeing you soon as well, okay?